Welcome to episode four of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I am your host, Ian Harditz, and today we are continuing our positional series talking all things at the tight end position. Now, to talk about one of the most important positions on the field, I had to bring in one of the most important people in the fantasy football industry. We got many names to call this man, the pod father, the brunch father. He's the host of the always excellent Roto Underworld Podcast. Of course, talking about Matt Kelly. Matt, what is going on, my man? Mm, mm, mm. you called the right guy if you want to talk tight ends i'm your guy i've been a tight end aficionado in fantasy football for more than five years that's that's a more than a half decade everyone i mean we're not talking small business here we're talking big business and yeah matt one of the premier dynasty minds out there you know and anything in life i think taking the long view is going to get you better results and particularly in fantasy football as well whether you're talking a basic redraft league or you know maybe a scott fishbowl league where we got you know more tight end premium stuff going on like that so now it's time to brush up on the position before we really get drafts going in going on in august so without further ado the 2020 tight end landscape. And we got to start with the king, Travis Kelsey. Four straight seasons, number one targets on the Chiefs. Four straight seasons, PPR's number one tight end. Tony Gonzalez is the only player at the position with more overall fantasy number one season since 2000. But hey, here comes Mr. George Kittle, consensus number two tight end. Matt, I think everyone has these guys in the top, top tier. You know, it's Kelsey or Kittle. Who you got? Oh, it's Kelsey easily. Kelsey has been doing it for longer and he's been doing it better and he's more consistent week to week. George Kittle is more of a boom bust weekly guy. Anyone that tried to play him in the playoffs last year in DFS knows how disappointing that is because you could run into a lot of positive games. Jimmy doesn't throw the ball more than 30 times and George Kittle just gets a handful of targets, and unless he breaks a, g- a bunch of tackles and scores a touchdown, you're going to be disappointed. On the other hand, Travis Kelsey is the number one option for one of the most prolific offenses in the league where they're constantly throwing the ball. The run-to-pass ratio is skewed heavily toward Patrick Mahomes throwing. The game script often is more down the middle, and Andy Reid has a proclivity to pass the ball Uh, as opposed to run the ball in game neutral situations where in San Francisco, they're more likely to run the ball. So for that reason, it's easy. They're similar guys or similar athletes, similar skill sets, but I love the situation that Travis Kelsey is in. It's a lot better than George Kittle. And look, we're we're, kind of pinching pennies here because you look over the last two seasons, we have Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Evans, top receiving yards. Then we have Kelsey and Kittle. I mean, these guys are legit number one receivers. The thing is, though, man, I got Kittle as that number one spot this year because now there's no Debo Samuel, at least to probably start the season. Emmanuel Sanders is gone. And don't look now. Kelsey's starting to get up there and age a little bit. Now, he's going to age gracefully with as long as, you know, Mr. 500 million is under center. But Gronk's only 144 days older than Kelsey. And we kind of saw how quickly he fell off the map. Again, not, you know, the same situation with having the Mahomes. But I got a better situation for you. I got a player that's more similar to Travis Kelsey than Gronk. Now on playerprofiler.com, Travis Kelsey's best comparable is Rob Gronkowski because they are very similar, but the similarities end at the injury history. So when you scroll down, you look at the medical history report, you see that Gronk's is very long, right? There's a reason why he looks stiff out there and hopefully he's more fluid this year. We'll talk about him in a little bit. I'm a Rob Gronkowski enthusiast this season in particular, but 
Kelsey is super fluid out there. He's a sex machine. And if you look at former Kansas City Chiefs tight end Tony Gonzalez, he was putting up top three tight end numbers over 1,000 yards into his mid-30s. So I have no issues. No, in fact, in fact, I go the other direction on this. I think Travis Kelsey is a fantastic buy-in dynasty, especially in tight end premium leagues. I recently participated in an FFPC startup, which is tight end premium, and I smashed the draft player button in the third round on Travis Kelsey, knowing five more years of tight end production in the upper echelon, assuming he doesn't have a major injury, and so far, so good. Yeah, I will say, I just did an article on this, looking at when have the most top 12 PPR seasons come, like in terms of years of experience, and running back wide receiver, you want them when they're young. Quarterback and tight end, both these positions are being dominated by guys with double-digit seasons in the league, so... Yeah, uh, man, it happens a lot, man. It happens a lot. They, they could, if a certain type of player with a real je ne sais quoi for avoiding contact like Jason Witten, certain tight ends are able to stay alive in the league and, you know, constantly produce well past age 35. You don't even see that at wide receiver as much. No, not at all. All right. So, you know, whether you have Kelsey or Kittle, I think it's kind of like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, top two, either way you want to look at it. Next guy, I think, is the consensus tight end three. And this hasn't been the case over the last few years, but I'm talking about Mark Andrews. Lamar Jackson's number one pass game option. He's a stud. I mean, no doubt about that. But we're in an offense, probably going to have some passing touchdown regression. It's just so run heavy. You know, you do see some similarities. Are you going out of your way to get Andrews on your rosters in 2020? I think there's going to be actually a positive mean reversion in the yardage department for Lamar Jackson, I think that the team is going to have to throw the ball more. There were so many lopsided contests last year. Teams did not see them coming. They'll be able to scheme more for Lamar Jackson as a runner. I think Lamar runs less. I think they're in more competitive contests. What does that mean? It means a lot more pass attempts. I think Lamar Jackson is going to throw the ball significantly more to offset the unsustainable passing touchdown rate that he had last year. So, oh, he can't be as effective in the passing game, the touchdown rate, the touchdown rate. Well, that can be offset by more pass attempts. And that helps Mark Andrews more than anything else. The problem with Mark Andrews is he's a diabetic. He is one of the few players in the NFL that is in the high-risk category for COVID-19. And he is a top candidate to sit the season out. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Interesting points there. I do like what you said about the touchdown rate. I mean, I believe it was uh, Roto-World's Hayden Wanks, really sharp dude. And, you know, he went through these occasions where the quarterbacks have the gaudy touchdown rates. And, yeah, sure enough, the next season they were averaging an extra two or three pass attempts per game. When your quarterback has one of the greatest seasons we've seen, even throwing the football, probably going to do so the next year, whether or not the natural regression comes into it. So last year, you know, one of the best stats PFF has is just yards per route run. Only George Kittle averaged more yards per route run than Mark Andrews. Interesting point there with, you know, being more uh, COVID sensitive, but at a minimum, he's still got to be your consensus top number three. Top oh one. yeah. 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 He might sell the season, but love him in the number three spot. <laughs> and there's no one else. It's like him is the argument is between you have the efficiency, the Uber efficiency of Mark Andrews over here. And then you have the massive target volume of Zach Ertz over here. And 
the expectation is more volume for Andrews. You add the opportunity plus efficiency equals fantasy points. It's my favorite equation. And yeah, moving right on there, Zach Ertz. So Ertz has been as good as bet of anyone to get triple digit targets over these last three, four years. And this offense, they've finally added some field stretchers. And it's it makes sense that we could see even more efficiency, you know, more open, intermediate, underneath areas of the field. But I'm not even so sure Zach Ertz is the best tight end on his own team at this point in his career. So yeah, at what point are we fine getting Ertz? Because I mean, if you have to do Eagles projections, I think you're going to have a triple-digit projection uh, target total for Ertz. But, man, Goddard's coming. H- how are you treating these guys? It's just one of those things, man, where if I can't get one of these big three guys that can be you know, a league winner at tight end, if there's even such a thing, then I'm not that interested. I'm just not that interested in Ertz because his ceiling is relatively capped by the presence of Dallas Goddard. Now, I don't think that Jalen Rager is going to make a huge impact this year without rookie camp and with a truncated training camp. I'm not expecting a lot from Jalen Rager. I think that Alshon Jeffrey is dust. I don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Jackson. I know he's going to Auschwitz. I wish him all the best in Auschwitz. Hopefully he comes back a different person and is still on the team when his flight lands. He doesn't tweet something out. Like imagine if he's on the way on his way back or his way over there and he decides to pull like a Justine Sacco you know, and, and tweet. And they're like, has Deshaun Jackson landed yet? I hope the, I just please Deshaun don't, don't do that. It just be, be cool, buddy. But I don't know what's going to happen with this passing game. I don't know. So it just means more targets for Ertz and Goddard and Miles Sanders. And if I'm already all in on Goddard, which I am, especially in Dynasty, on playerprofiler.com's Dynasty rankings, we have Goddard ranked higher than Zach Ertz. And we've been higher than consensus on Goddard forever because he is one of the gods at the tight end position. If there were no Zach Ertz, he would be in the top three. Like that, that's how good he is. Like that, that's how good he is. In fact, like he's already a mythological figure. I know that he was, he, he was taken out by a sucker punch in a bar and that sort of, that, that really depresses his perception as a, a God, right? It's, it's, you can't really like, you're not going to sucker punch Zeus in a bar. That's not going to happen. But he went to the senior bowl and he participated in like half a practice before he tore a peck or a tricep, something like that, some upper body muscle he tore, and he had to bail on the senior bowl. And when I'm at the senior bowl, I'm in Mobile, they still talk about that half practice from Dallas Goddard. Like, he he was that good. Like, he was that good of a football player, just an incredible football player all around. So, to me, if you like Ertz, because uh, the the funneling of targets to the middle of the field – in the absence of wide receiver depth, well, then you also must love Goddard because Goddard also has that upside if something happens to Ertz and he's available seven, eight rounds later. So to me, I just don't have a lot to say about Ertz and I'm, I'm very much all in on Dallas Goddard, especially in Dynasty. Now, this year, you don't want to bet on players getting hurt and Dallas Goddard really is more of a, a high-end tight end two assuming Ertz is healthy. So in seasonal leagues, I have some other late round upside tight ends. I prefer to Goddard, but he's the guy. Like if I'm sitting down, I'm going to trade for someone in dynasty. It's going to be Goddard. 
I think the only other just truly great backup tight end that you could even compare, like if they get that injury to Goddard is Irv Smith. I mean, these guys, instant top three, if not, you know, even higher tight ends if something happens. After week 10 last year, 60 targets for Zach Ertz, 55 for Goddard. Maybe we already saw the takeover happening, but moving on. No, well, hey, listen, man. We got, whoa, whoa, yeah. Same thing with Irv Smith, though. Irv Smith's targets rose throughout the season as well, and Kyle Rudolph's contract is untenable next season. Rudolph is gone next season. It's going to be the Irv Smith show, so I agree with you 100%. Goddard and Irv Smith. Those are your tight end handcuffs for sure. Oh, di- the, the, those are the dynasty buys right now. They're, 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 they're only going up. You can't imagine them going down. They're only going up. It's like, get it over with in dynasty. Get it over with. It's like, how can you have these young guys so high? They're not proven yet. I'm like, well, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what could happen? Think about it. Play out the scenarios in your mind. What could happen to Dallas Goddard? Okay, he tears an ACL. That could happen to anybody. Yeah. Every other scenario is he's going to rise in dynasty. Just get it over with. Do your subscribers and your followers a service by being correct earlier. I'm with you, man. Look, another backup tight end that, you know, watching every single game last season, you, you only see these backup tight ends, few targets at a time. But Foster Moreau was someone that just really stood out, showed off that red zone chemistry with Derek Carr. You know, Darren Waller's really good at football, too. And we've seen Waller, Jared Cook over these last two seasons with the Raiders just get fed. But why the hell is Jason Witten? With this Raiders team uh, now, it's painful. It's making it's, me- it's just an opportunity. It's a buying opportunity in Dynasty for Foster Moreau, especially like I said, FFPC Dynasty leagues are very popular. They're tight end premium. I've been making sure I get Foster Moreau in any tight end premium Dynasty league because if you like Dawson Knox and he has splash plays for days and hyper athletic player, just wasn't heavily used in college. Well, why don't you think Foster Moreau was heavily used in college? Well, Knox was competing against DK Metcalf and AJ Brown for targets. That's fine. Well, Moreau was in a low volume run first offense at LSU dominated by DJ Chark. That's why he wasn't heavily used. These athletic tight ends, like the best example, the shining example is George Kittle, he wasn't heavily used at Iowa. Like, how's that not? How's it possible? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why these tight ends don't get used in college. It's not my problem. <laughs> I go to the combine and I see how they perform at the combine. And if they're jumping high and running fast and super agile, especially the agility, the agility's big. If you can be quick and agile in the middle of the field, that gives you a huge advantage to work your work your way around linebackers and find the soft spots in the zone. Tight end agility is the most underrated workout metric on the board. All right. I'm in on Moreau long-term as well, but let's stick 2020 Raiders specifically. Was last season the best and most productive year we're going to see from Darren Waller? Because, yeah, he was the number one guy there, but we also now have Ruggs, Bowden, Edwards in that offense. And I know Gruden these last two years has focused on the tight ends, but you and me are both old enough to remember when Joey Galloway and Keenan McCardell and these guys were getting fed in the early 2000s, even Tim Brown before that. I don't think Gruden wants to just feature a tight end in his offense for another year. I mean, are we going to see more from Waller or what? He was so good last year. 90 catches. He was number two in the league in catches and number two in yards per target. So he was efficient. He was commanding lots of targets. I'm just skeptical. I'm skeptical because this isn't my first rodeo. And I've been through the Gary Barnage years. And I've seen a lot of 
tight ends post huge numbers for a single season and then not be heard from again. I think that Darren Waller is good. He's only 27 years old, but he is a relatively late NFL breakout. He was a wide receiver and he only has one year of meaningful NFL production on his resume. So I don't trust him. I don't trust him. I need to see more. I'm not, you know, I shouldn't be alone. I feel like I'm alone, but I'm not crazy to want more from Darren Waller and also asking what the fuck are they doing bringing in Jason Witten? If they're bringing in Jason Witten and they have Foster Moreau and they're drafting three receivers in the first three rounds, it's a lot of additional target competition for a guy that was basically the de facto number one last year. Well, it's not just, oh, I'm the number one receiver by process of elimination this year. So I want to see him rise up and, and command that type of target share and be that efficient with a lot more target competition. So I'm out. I'm out on Darren Waller. It's okay. You can be on the sidelines and watch. There's so many tight ends. We've already talked about a, a number of them that I love. I can't love them all. And I think there's reasons why you just want to be cautious with Darren Waller, particularly at his ADP. I mean, he's very – we're just coming off – a time when he was a top 50 pick in tight end premium high stakes leagues. He's now just outside the top 50 in the FFPC high stakes leagues. But I mean, it's pretty expensive right now and I'm not in. It's almost like the running back position where, okay, we have our top three dudes at the top, but after that, there's just questions on everyone. So if you want to, you know, get a more sure thing and just hold back to the later rounds, I think it might be the move, but we got to get on the main event. I mean, this is the guy that's been dominating fantasy Twitter for the better part of the last month. I'm talking Tyler Higby. You, I think you referred to his splits last season as the scariest in all of fantasy football. Of course, the last five weeks of the season, Higby absolutely took over, was the easy PPR tight end one over that stretch. 11 targets per game, dominant, balling, complete beast, great player. But there, there were some fluky things about that stretch. Matt, why are you not buying Higby at his price right now? I think one of the best offensive coordinators in the league decided he was going to feature Tyler Higby as a way to gain some competitive advantage on defenses and catch them off guard. I mean, it happens, right? It happens. Even, even a, an outmatched army can catch a much larger army by surprise and outwit and outlast them. It happens all the time. I mean, pick up a book. You know, Sun Tzu, I don't care, whatever, read a book. You'll learn about Tyler Higby throughout history. And then what happens? Well, suddenly he shows up on the game plan for the defense to start the season. And you look at his athleticism on playerprofiler.com, it's not special. You look at his production history in the league, it's not special. He was outproduced by Gerald Everett. When they both played last year, whenever it was healthy, Everett was the go-to guy, even in 12 personnel. And now there's 126 vacated targets. But I think that Everett is a better tight end for fantasy football. He has great bursts and agility. He was drafted earlier. He was a college mega producer. And most importantly, four top six tight end scoring weeks through 10 weeks of last season. So there were plenty of opportunities for Tyler Higby to command targets on his own without being schemed into space and he couldn't do it. Whereas Gerald Everett has shown that he can command targets just by winning those one-on-one matchups with his athleticism and his skill set. 
And that's the guy I'm going to bet on, especially when the ADP difference is sixth round versus 16th round. It's an easy choice. I was happy to scoop up Everett in a late round Scott Fishbowl slot for sure. I think we all, we've heard the, you know, Jordan Reed, Gerald Everett comparisons. I think we all knew how good he could be with the targets and Higby caught us by surprise a little bit. The big thing here though, is I just think we might have to realize the 2020 Rams offense might not just be this world beating unit that we saw in 2017, 2018. I mean, they dropped the 11 personnel usage after their buy last year by over 10%. Brandon Cooks is gone and, you know, signed Van Jefferson. Great. Why did they do absolutely nothing to help what was just a brutal offensive line last year when you still have the same quarterback that can't create anything off script? I mean, I just think you look. It's well, a bad, 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 bad situation. Yeah. It's and not a team being priced that, that I'm trying to invest in. There are plenty of other teams that you can invest in around the league. This is looking like a bad offense. I don't want anything to do with Jared Goff. If anything, I'm going to pick a winner among the wide receivers between Cup and Woods, but my advice is you shouldn't have more than one Ram on your dynasty team or your fantasy team in general, just one Ram only, whether it be acres, whether it be woods, just, just, just make sure you, you limit your exposure to this Rams offense, because not only is the offensive line, one of the worst in the league, Jared Goff is a fraud, right? He, he, he's like the master blaster where he's the blaster and McVeigh is the master and if he can't get the, the instructions in his headset pre-snap, it's over. He, he just flails out there. And you look at the schedule. I mean, it is a brutal schedule. We, I'm looking at the Cowboys. I'm looking at the Bills. I'm looking at the 49ers. I'm looking at the Bears. This is all before their bye week. <laughs> So you heard everyone, as Matt said, if you want to know why you don't need Tyler Higby this year, pick up the Art of War or pick up the PFF Draft Guide, Code Fantasy 40, get all that, get the rankings, get everything you need. I thought that was a pretty smooth pitch personally, but yeah, I love it, baby. We're already moving on. Resources, more resources. (laughs) You want to win? Get resources. There we go, man. And okay. So the one big thing, I've been doing a lot of work on rookies. And the one thing we know about rookies is that rookie tight ends never do anything. We've had two top 12 PPR performers at the position since 2010. Rob Gronkowski, the GOAT, and Evan Ingram, and he needed OBJ to play four games for him to get there. So this year, two incredibly talented second-year tight ends in TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. We saw both of them flash last year. Now, Fant in an offense where he could feasibly be you know, a top-two option. Hawkinson, maybe the better overall player, but a little more competition. How are you approaching these guys this year? Well, one guy has a legitimate upper echelon quarterback in Matthew Stafford. The other guy has a complete and utter wild card who could get benched by week eight. We have no idea what Drew Locke is. The Drew Locke I saw in college was super erratic. The Drew Locke we saw last year had more danger plays and interceptable (laughs) passes than he did money throws on player profilers. So I'm not interested in these Denver Broncos passing game weapons. The guy that you want on Denver is Melvin Gordon because they upgraded the offensive line. They, they basically stole the best free agent offensive lineman in Graham Glasgow from the Detroit lions, TJ Hawkinson's team. And they brought him in to further bolster the running game. I think they want to be a running team. I think they want to hide drew lock and Therefore, I'm not as interested in Noah Fant. Noah Fant has great yards after the catch ability. And, you know, 4.5 
yards after the catch per target, incredibly impressive last year. And that's what these athletic tight ends bring to the table. The George Kittles, the Janu Smiths, we're going to talk about the yak. You love that. And especially as they're not going to get the target share, you need that. But if I'm looking to win my league, TJ Hawkinson's the guy. TJ Hawkinson can own that number three receiver role in Detroit pretty easily. And he is one of the best tight ends in college football history. He outplayed Noah Fant in their final year together at Iowa. And the one week that he was healthy last season, he was the number two tight end in fantasy that week with 25 fantasy points as a rookie because he's exceptional. He's super athletic, super productive, and he's kind of like a more athletic Dallas Goddard in that we know he's good at football. He's a total dog, but, but he is super explosive. 90th percentile burst score. He's, he's my guy. Like I like I'm in a startup right now in the FFPC that's tight end premium. And I reached for TJ Hawkinson because that's the guy to build around. One of the many fun like Twitter workout videos going viral was Hawkinson doing some stuff with George Kittle and, you know, looking like he certainly belonged there with the league's premier tight end, in my opinion. I think he's 100% now, but that it's late time. Se- yeah, okay. You, you got to push the button on Hawkinson. I was, I was a little bit I, – I, I almost reached for him in the Scott Fishbowl, but you know, I'm trying to be more disciplined this year in life across the board. And I waited, and I, I got Kaseki, which is great which is great, great, great. But I would have preferred Hawkinson, man. Yeah. I'm a little higher on Fant than you are, I think. I I do love that yak ability. And, hey, he is one of only 10 rookie tight ends to get that eight yards per target since 2000. You know, I feel like when we see anything – High-end efficiency from a rookie tight end. Again, so used to seeing nothing from the position. You got to follow it. Who's in the better offense, though? Absolutely, Hawkinson. So, please, just for the sake of Hawkinson's future, can we put Sheriff Jesse James on the bench a little bit more this year? Yeah, no, it's it, – it, he's, he's just – he's a no-doubter. He's no doubt. a, there's very – I mean, he, he was a top-ten pick. Right, I'm not a big half-capital zealot, right? Some people are like, hey, if he's not a first-round pick, I don't care. Hey, he's going to be a first-round pick. Well, this guy wasn't just a first round. He was a top 10 pick. Man, uh, you just made the, me- the NFL agrees. Like, when, we're, when you're putting up like a matrix of, of things or reasons why a guy is going to be good, I mean, he checks every single box. God. You, know, you know who else I thought checked every single box was OJ freaking Howard last year. I miss. I missed so bad on this. I wasn't the only one, but I was certainly one of them. And my lesson after this was saying, okay, I got to be wary of projecting number three pass game options, you know, with an incredibly high fantasy pick, especially when we got Goblin and Evans there. Like clearly we should have known at least to be a little more concerned about that situation. New offense. Don't beat yourself up, man. Don't beat yourself. He was the number two option on one of the most prolific offenses. I mean, throwing the ball all over the, uh, no defense. I mean, come on. Fine. Do not beat yourself off about this. That was great process. He was the most efficient tight end in the NFL in his first two years. He led the league in yards per target as a rookie and a sophomore. Combined those two years, no one had a better yards per target than O.J. Howard. Then he, he's, he emerged as the number, the number three guy in that offense. Do not beat yourself up on O.J. Howard. I think he's a sneaky buy this year because he's going to get on the field a lot again They don't have a number three wide receiver of consequence. That means to, to, again, help protect Brady, 
you would think there's going to be more 12 personnel in Tampa than other teams. They, they signed, they could, they didn't have to pick up his option, right? Tampa decided to pick up his option. So that means they like him more than maybe was perceived last year. But here's my problem with this. We're now doing the same thing we were doing last year with Gronk. Gronk is pretty much everyone. He's in everyone's consensus, top 10, as is Goblin. And Evans is usually right around that borderline as well. I mean, are expectations just too high for this Buccaneers offense? I, I think a year off could certainly do Gronk some well. But once again, here we are with three high-end fantasy options in the same offense. I mean, who's going to be the loser here? Gronk is not that expensive, though. That's the thing. I thought Gronk's ADP would be higher. He's still hovering around the 90 slot in FFPC drafts, which is tight end premium. So the fact that you can get Gronk 40 spots after Darren Waller, to me, is hilarious. (laughs) Many believe that this is going to be a consolidated target share with Evans and Godwin. I have, you know built my life around or tried to build my life around fighting against take lock because take lock is so easy. You like a player, you have notoriety because you like that player. And the idea that you would then fade that player at his ADP just doesn't even seem possible. Right. Or you were very successful with a strategy, a draft strategy for many years. Like, I don't know, zero RB and then zero RB is a failure from a number of years. Do you keep going back to zero RB or do you adjust your assumptions and start to think, well, maybe I need to change my strategy around based on all this new information that's coming in or do you practice cognitive dissonance and just get locked in? I'm there with Chris Godwin where I loved him last year, right? Waving the flag, but I'm looking at this offense thinking, I know Brady's going to want to throw to Gronk and Mike Evans is, I think the second, the only, I think he's the second receiver to ever start his career with six consecutive 1000 receiving yard seasons. It's just him and Randy Moss. Correct. Nailed it. So knowing that the fundamentals, right? It, it becomes impossible to select Godwin in the second round or even the early third round. I'm out on Godwin. I think that's where the rubber meets the road. You need to pick someone in that offense to fade because they all can't be values unless somehow Tom Brady throws for 6,000 yards. That's not going to happen. The guy that I think is going to experience uh, some regression this year is Godwin. He was outside the top 15 in targets last year. He made it up with Yak, and Yak is not as sticky as Air Yards. So I think he's going to regress in the yak department. Can't lead the league in yak two consecutive years. It's probably going to be DJ Moore leading the league in yak this year, not Chris Godwin. And therefore I'm out on Godwin at his ADP. I don't hate players. I hate ADPs. Love you, Godwin. Not thrilled about your ADP. You're not a value. Last year, it says drafting guys heavily two years in a row doesn't make sense. Last year was the year to get Godwin. This is the year to sidestep him. It's fine. Yeah, and, and I know the popular, you know, reason is, hey, Brady has fed Julian Edelman all these uh, targets from the slot. Like you said, it, man, we're going to see more two tight end looks, which means Goblin's going to be on the outside, and that's fine. Goblin is a stud. I think slot versus out wide usage is a little bit overrated, anyway. But you know, just be careful about saying, "Oh, Edelman got 153 targets last year. Goblin's going to get that." So I'm with you. You know, he wasn't hey. competing against Evans. For yeah, targets? Man. All these guys right? are good. These guys, they're, they have They're the good. They're all good. They're all going to be efficient. It's going to be a great offense. It's going to be a lot of fun. 
If you're drafting Chris Godwin in the late second round, the opportunity cost is also a stud workhorse back. Pivot off that guy. You want the back. You want the running back. You can get a guy like DJ Moore a round or two later. And it's a similar dude, except DJ Moore is locked in as the true number one on an offense that will likely have to throw the ball even more than Tampa will. Uh, another pass happy offense. And, you know, this guy is called, he's labeled a tight end. He plays wide receiver. I'm talking about Mike Jasicki lined up in this slot or out wide on 77% of his snaps. Third year breakout. It's on the way, right, man? It's easy. It's like so easy. How is it hard? I don't understand how it's hard. It's not hard at all. It's not, we, we know that there are some fundamentals about tight end, right? That they correlate most closely with athleticism than even running backs. Right. So if you want to find tight end breakouts, you get to find your athletes. Right. So there are, yeah, there's, there are fewer unathletic tight end breakouts than there are unathletic running back breakouts. It's true. It's absolutely true. And so Mike Gusecki, it's so obvious. The fact that his, his best comparable is Vernon Davis with that huge penis is all you need to know. And I don't, I haven't seen Mike Gusecki's penis, but my guess is that the best way to tackle him, just like the best way to tackle Vernon Davis is to bring him down by the penis because his spark X score is 136.9, which is 97th percentile. And the beauty is he was used incredibly heavily last year, big time usage, 867 yards of total target distance was top five in the league. So he was getting downfield. He was commanding targets. Guess what? They weren't catchable. The catchable target rate was only 70%, number 39 among qualified tight ends. That's very low. That's absolutely going to come into balance this year. So he'll be the number two option to start the season. Preston Williams still rehabilitating that torn ACL. It's going to be the Mike Isecki and Devontae Parker show on a team that has to throw the ball to be competitive. Yes, please. And look, Preston is back, but better news, Dolphins did not draft any high-end receivers or add any sort of high-end free agents. Jaseki, he's the number two guy there. And like you said, I mean, so I've heard some people wonder, hey, what happens when he stops getting those 50-50 contested catch opportunities all the time from Fitzpatrick? What happens when Tua steps in and actually makes this offense a legit unit to be reckoned with? So has the size, athleticism, draft capital. I mean, I think Devontae's locked in as a number one, but Jaseki, I mean, how many other tight ends can you say should be favored to be number two in targets? It's easy. It's an incredible situation. It's a, and, and, and that's the argument, right? The, the best, the most fun dichotomy for arguing in fantasy football between two tight ends after Kelsey and Kittle is this Hawkinson Gasecki because they're so similar. And the difference really is there is no Marvin Jones in Miami. Yeah. And so you know that Gasecki is going to get more targets. So, would you take Jaseki over Hawkinson? I don't know! God, I knew you'd ask that question! No, 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 no. Even though I believe Gasecki's going to get more targets, the yak ability by Hawkinson and just his, his just sublime football skills, I think, makes up for you know, maybe 10 less targets. Okay, fair enough. All right, it's so, so close. It's yeah. so close. It's like comparing Sterling Shepard to Anthony Miller. It's so close. All right, man. Those were the key guys I wanted to take more time to touch on. Now, quick, more rapid-fire segment. I just want to hear. Wait, wait, wait. You're not, you don't want to talk about your namesake? 
Oh, we're going to talk about my namesake. Just we're going to do a little more quickly. Well, you got to so. make sure we talk about your namesake. We will. We will. Don't worry, man. I got you. So two to three sentences. I'm going to give you a player. I want to hear your mostly 2020 uh, outlook. Hunter Henry. Uh, he's <laughs> in the ze- he's in the dead zone. Hunter Henry's in the tight end dead zone. Evan Ingram. Hunter Henry, Darren Waller, Tyler Higby, tight end dead zone. If you don't get one of the top three, you wait and you be the last owner in your draft to go tight end. You either get a top three guy or you wait it out. Extreme late round tight end. That's my approach to drafts. So Hunter Henry, he's just, he's in a dead zone. His ADP is too high. He has a quarterback change and we just don't know what his volume is share is going to look like the one guy I think is going to get lots of well, two guys. We know two guys are going to get big volume in Los Angeles. It's Keenan Allen and it's Austin Eckler. Yep. So beyond that, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, I just, I just don't know. I just don't know. And so in that case, I'd rather take my chances with less expensive guys that are actually more athletic. All right, another HH tight end. That's going a little creeping up a little bit closer to that tight end when borderline. Hayden Hurst, what are your thoughts? Borderline? Borderline? No, he's now being drafted as a top 10 tight end because after he signed, you could get him in best ball leagues at a reasonable ADP, and then all the articles started coming out, and everyone started doing the math, writing it down. Okay, so this many targets to Ridley, this many targets to Julio Jones, this many targets to Gurley. Wait a second. Oh, 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 Hayden Hurst, he could be a top five guy. You got to get Hayden Hurst. Oh, my God, do the math, do the math, do the math. Okay, do the math. Great is still a 100% situation-based play. And once you start creeping up into the 6th, 7th, 8th round, I'm out on you if you're just a situation-based play. Lots of situation-based plays that are fun in the second half of drafts. But once you creep up early, and the entire case that is being made by your attorneys is situation-based, I'm out. I need to see more. I need to have some talent-based reason to like you, to think that, okay, if you get these targets, you're going to do something with them. I haven't seen Hayden Nurse do anything with any targets. What I do know is that he has a receding hairline and he's never done anything in the league. So show me and then I'll, and then I'll bite, but not this year. I'm out this year. He's in the dead zone. He's in that tight end dead zone with Hunter Henry and all the rest. And as great as those 10 weeks of Austin Hooper production were last year, I mean, just overwhelming majority came while the Falcons were trailing. Do not expect to see Hurst the focal point of this offense by any stretch. Now, another tight end that's not going to be. Listen, it's, like, yeah. it's, like with, it's like with Hooper. I mean, it's like with Higby. Like, let's see it for a season. Yeah. Let's see it for a full season. And, and then we can, we, can, we can come back. But there, there's no reason to – invest significant capital in a draft on a speculative play. And that's what I consider Hayden Hurst to be. Now, another guy, we haven't gotten a full season from him, but the spots we've seen have been pretty nice. Thoughts on Blake Jarwin? Well, Blake Jarwin's different because Blake Jarwin is available many rounds later. There we go. Right. That's a great situation to be in. And we've actually seen Blake Jarwin be super efficient when called upon, which we haven't seen from so it's actually the perfect it's the perfect reason to fade a guy like Hayden Hurst is that you can get a Jarwin on what you it's probably going to be an equally prolific offense 
many rounds later, and he's actually more athletic and has shown more on the football field. I mean, 8.9 yards per target was top six in the league last year. This guy gets down the seam. He converts in contested situations. 50% contested catch conversion rate last year. That was impressive. That was Mike Gusecki-esque. So very much yes on Blake Jarwin. He's in that zone. He's in the zone we're going to talk about right now. The John U. Smith, Ian Thomas, Blake Jarwin zone. That's what you can, that's what you can dip into. That's the reason why you wait on tight end. And yeah, Dak's most efficient receivers in terms of adjusted yards per attempt. Number one, shout out Bryce Butler. Two, Amari Cooper. Number three, Blake Jarwin. So, yeah, PFF tracks this stat. The passer rating when targeted, 126.6, number five in the league for Blake Jarwin last season. That's what you get when you're an actual seam stretcher, not a, you know, a a dad bod falling down after six yards. So, all right, now you asked for it. My namesake, Ian Thomas. Sell me on Yes. Yeah. See, Ian Thomas is not necessarily projected to command a huge target share because McCaffrey is there. Moore is there. Curtis Samuel is there. All these guys are going to be in the short and intermediate areas of the field, right? Robbie Anderson, most likely a decoy because Teddy Bridgewater likes to keep it short and efficient, but you're placing a bet. You're placing a bet on a guy breaking out all over the place. And in the, the conditions for Ian Thomas to break out are perfect in that he's been in the league a couple of years he has that 85th percentile catch radius and 84th percentile burst. So he has the super athletic. He's basically a more athletic version of Austin Hooper. But he's in the offense you want to bet on. The reasons why you want McCaffrey and DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson and Teddy Bridgewater in fantasy football is that he's operating in the NFC South on a team with the worst defense in the division. They're going to have to throw the ball a lot to be even moderately competitive in either shootouts or when they find themselves in garbage time, it's going to be just the hurry up offense. There's going to be a lot of pass volume there. There's going to be a lot of targets to go around. And after Moore and after McCaffrey, you could easily see Thomas stepping up. We don't know how good he is, right? We don't know what he's going to do, but if you're going to, make a situation-based bet, why not a Blake Jarwin? Why not an Ian Thomas betting on the offense many rounds after Hayden Hurst is already off the board? We, sh- we saw a couple examples of Ian Thomas getting a full snap share without Greg Olson last year. The first week, week 14, against the aforementioned Atlanta Falcons, what do he do? Five catches on 10 targets for 57 yards and a touchdown. Not bad, man. Not bad for that late-round pick. And I think you're being generous saying worst defense in the division. I think we can just go ahead and say worst defense in the league. Fully in on buying these Panthers pass game weapons all over the place. But Ian Thomas is not my favorite late-round tight end. My favorite late-round tight end, Chris Herndon. If you have a couple drinks, man. I thought thought you were going to say John U. Smith. I've seen your gifs of John U. Smith breaking all those tackles and actually taking handoffs to the house. Wow, Jonu jo does pull up my, you know, players that could be running back, hard strength. He, he's got the 94th percentile burst. He's incredible after the catch. 6.2 yards after the catch per target. That's incredible. Chris Herndon, I'm telling you, man, next time you're at that three to four. 
hey, hey, you let me finish here. Next time no you're at that three to four, three to four drinks, I want you to think about that Jets pecking order. And I want you to consider who's going to lead that offense and targets. Is it going to be four condom slot receiver, Jamison Crowder, some rookie named Denzel Mims with a good looking player profiler page? Some could, rookie named Denzel Mims. It could be Chris Herndon. I don't know. I don't know. I think that Chris Herndon is a more speculative play than Jonu Smith. He's not as explosive. I want him to be good. He was good at Miami, right? He was, he was really good at Miami. 18% dominator rating for a major conference tight end is super impressive. But what we've seen from a guy like Jonu Smith, where he was number two in the league with 9.8 yards per target last year, if you've demonstrated hyper-efficient play with the athleticism metrics to match to it, I just don't see the need to look past guys like Jarwin and Jonu and Ian Thomas. In a two-tight end league or a tight end premium league, that only then do I think you start to you know, turn over more rocks and start to examine what we have here in Chris Herndon, what we have here in a CJ Uzoma, what we have here in a Gerald Everett. Those are some of my favorite plays for tight end premium and two tight end leagues, but tight end goes all the way out to tight end 16, 17. If you include Thomas and Janu and Jarwin. And again, this is why we're letting those tight end four through 10 guys just let someone else draft them because we got all these ballers elsewhere. I mean, literally Chris Herndon had one catch last year. I just, you know, it's one of those things where if it were a different year, Ian, if this were three years ago, then I would be more excited. But he's getting so crowded out by these incredible athletes that are walking into just pristine, perfect game situations and team environments that I just can't get that excited. I only have so much bandwidth to get excited about so many tight ends. All right. Is that well, fair? No, is that no, fair? It's, not, it's not fair. I'm still is that fair? Is that, that's not fair? We have, here's the list of rookie tight ends to average eight yards per target since 2000. Mark Andrews, Gronk, Hunter Henry, Heath Miller, Aaron Hernandez, may have heard of him, Noah Fant, Jordan Reed, Zachary, George Kittle, and Mr. Chris Herndon. He had one catch last year because he was suspended and he couldn't find the field. I could not be less scared about Ryan Griffin by Chris Herndon, everyone. And if you want John, 56 too, targets the year prior. I mean, it's a, he's going to be productive. He is going to be productive. This is the best season to draft late round tight end in yep. the history of fantasy football. Yep. So one late round guy that I don't see getting much hype, Eric Ebron. Expecting anything from him? Mm, mm, why not, man? Why not? I just don't know what this offense is going to be, but man, he is explosive and he can get down the seam and the Colts featured him in the, in the red zone. It's not like the Steelers have a, a proper alpha for the red zone, do they? Nope. They have a bunch of slot guys and James Washington, who's an undersized outside receiver. So I expect Eric Ebron to get that red zone usage, but also to get more usage between the twenties than he did in Indianapolis. And that makes him a value that makes him an incredible value. He's available in the super double digit rounds. He feels gross. Like if his name were something else, (laughs) right? If he, if, if he was just Eric Bebron, then he would go two rounds earlier. It's just that 
his brand equity is so low right now. And there are questions about Ben Roethlisberger and whether or not he's washed or not. And so if Roethlisberger is not dust, then you got to love Ebron. It's just that he's outside that cutoff for me. He's just outside that cutoff. But in the Scott Fish Bowl, again, tight end premium, super tight end premium. You not only do tight ends get a, a premium on receptions, double the reception bonus, but also double the first down bonus. Then I was looking at Eric Ebron. I wanted Eric Ebron as that sort of you know tarnished brand equity guy. You can get a couple rounds later than he should go. It depends on their schedule in week one. I want to look up – let me look up – I'm going to go to the uh, the world famous draft kit here and look up their schedule. Ah, see, this is what you got to do. The Steelers face the Giants in Week One. Ooh! So this is why. This is why when you're trying to make decisions between a Herndon and an Ebron, the Giants in Week One feels like a great matchup for Eric Ebron. I'm not sure exactly the you know I don't know the personnel on the defensive side of the ball that's going to be matching up with tight end to start the season, but the giants have been soft on tight ends historically. So I think that Ebron is a buy. Just if you want to flip him after week one, he's a buy. Give me that 3,300 week one DraftKings price all day there. And yeah, you know, it's, it's just an offense where we've hyped up Ladarius Green, Vance McDonald, these guys that, you know, have, have been athletes but haven't maybe put up all the numbers. Ebron, this dude had 14 touchdowns in 16 games two years ago. So we have seen him at a high level with an elite quarterback. Will Big Ben be that in 2020? We will find out. It's the all same right. role. It's the same role he had two years yeah. ago where he's a touchdown machine. Yep. Okay. Next guy, maybe the cheapest tight end that could feasibly finish number two in targets in their offense. Jay Sternberger. We've seen very little of him at the NFL level. You know, I know you've probably seen every single called snap he had. If he was at the senior bowl, great thoughts on him. I don't mind him. What's wrong with him? I mean, he has above average agility and size adjusted speed. He's not that big. He's only 6'4", 250 even, but he was a monster producer for that one season. I don't know why guys transfer. Like, I don't know. I, I, this shit happens, man. Something happened at Kansas. He had to transfer, lost a year, only had one year of real production. That one year, over 800 yards, over 17 yards per reception, 10 touchdowns. So if he were coming out this year, we'd be so excited about him, right? Yeah. But – because he missed a year last year, had a lost season last year, he's being forgotten. We just have to worry about David Njoku. Where is Njoku going to go? Njoku could go to Arizona. Njoku could go to Green Bay. So the only thing that's standing between him and, and being a, a, a low-end tight end one is the acquisition of a guy like David Njoku. But I, I like Jay Sternberger a lot. I mean, who is behind Devontae Adams? Think about it. Alan Lazard. I like Lazard. He's cool. Devin Funches, Devin Funches is essentially a, a lesser Jay Sternberger. Oh, come on. Get your Funches tight end jokes out of here. I've been trying to get people to stop this. What? That, what? that was uncalled for. What? Uncalled for. I, I thought that was a good little zinger. <laughs> it was well thought is out. That, I didn't know that was a cliche already. Uh, Damn it. I feel like Funches gets these Kelvin Benjamin comps and like, you know, the guy. No way. He's way better than Benjamin. Okay. Oh my I want to see what he is. Hey, 
Devin Funches also had a lost season last year. Yeah. And I'm interested to see what he's going to be. Someone has to catch some passes there. You could see him operating in that Eric Ebron Indianapolis Colts role this year. All right. All right. All right. Enough of that. But yes, a whole lot of talent in Green Bay that it's just dirt cheap in fantasy land. We had uh, Matt Harmon on here to talk wide receivers. He actually has Devontae Adams as his number one fantasy receiver. But like someone else is going to put up production in this offense could be Sternberger. All right. Final two guys mentioned them a little bit earlier, but this, this guy flashes, but incredibly crowded offense dropped a lot of passes. Thoughts on Dawson Knox. Well, I like Dawson Knox a lot. Go check out the Dawson Knox highlights from last year. I, I look at very little. T- okay. <laughs> very little. Just such a waste of time to just grind every college rep from a player. Get out of here. However, 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 I went and did grind the Dawson Knox reps from last year because there weren't that many, right? He only had 50 targets. But my God, man, we're talking about one-hand catches. We're talking about yak that included three to four broken tackles. Beast mode. In a, in a, in a, in just a beast mode mode this guy was getting in as a rookie, 23 years old. And again, we talked about reasons why a guy like Foster Moreau is not going to get targeted in college. Same thing with Dawson Knox. Even more reason for Dawson Knox not to get targeted. I mean – 5% dominator rating is embarrassing, but that's because they were throwing to AJ Brown and they were throwing to DK Metcalf. So, okay. I guess that's an explanation. Yeah. I like Dawson Knox a lot. I just don't, as a player, I love the, fl- I love the flashing that he did of the big plays and he was efficient when called upon. I know that the catch rate wasn't there, right? I, I get it. He dropped some passes. He had the number one drop rate in all of football last year, 12% drop rate, but he was a rookie. Like, I think that he could get better. You get on the jugs machine. That's something that can be worked on. What you can't work on in the off season is getting a better quarterback. And in general, I am fading what I think is going to be a regressive season for Josh Allen. I think he's going to start hot. The schedule is super friendly for the bills to start the season. And then he has the most difficult passing game schedule in the second half. It is absolutely brutal. So Dawson Knox would be a guy that you could sell at the midpoint of the season in all formats because the bills face after their bye week the chargers, the 49ers, the Steelers, the Broncos, the Patriots. Oh, Oh, no. That's how they close out the fantasy season. So you want to get the hell out of Josh Allen. You want to get the hell out of everybody on the Bills before their bye week. Hell, before they even face the Patriots in week eight, I would get out because then they face the Seahawks right after that. It's brutal. It's a brutal schedule after the first seven weeks. So you won't see the Josh Allen regression show up early on. If you do, if you start to see him struggling in the first half of the season – Alarm bells and sirens should be going off everywhere. He's just never been accurate. And on player profiler, we have all the different completion percentage metrics and all the different scenarios, whether it be under pressure, red zone, deep balls. He's outside the top 30 across the board in every measurement this year, last year at Wyoming, I don't think he's ever going to be a good thrower of footballs. 
be, and so for that reason, it makes the whole offense more fragile. And that includes Dawson Knox. And, and even though many of my coworkers are not Josh Allen fans, this is a pro Josh Allen podcast because he makes football more entertaining. I don't necessarily disagree with your thoughts on his accuracy. It's just, it's little, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm older now and I'm a little more risk averse in fantasy football than I used to be. And yeah. so I just picked these certain situations where I'm like, yeah, Tyler Higby was good for a month, but I just want to see more. Am I allowed to see more? Hey, Josh Allen's never been accurate. I just like to see him be accurate once. And I'm just a little more conservative. All right, last guy we're going to talk about. Touched on a little bit beginning, but Irv Smith. Last year, Kyle Rudolph had 48 targets. Irv Smith, 47. Now, I, I can't call Rudolph wash just yet. He actually, you know, that touchdown against the Saints, he had a swaggy touchdown against the Cowboys. I wanted to call him washed. He wasn't quite washed yet. With that said, I mean, I think if you give Irv Smith 90 targets compared to Rudolph, Irv's going to ball out. Are we going to see anything in 2020, or is this just more of a stash him and wait for 2021? Hey, man, he balled out last year, 87.8% true catch rate on player profiler which factors in uncatchable passes so when it's catchable he's almost always catching it that was top 10 in the league he is super efficient at a young age he's not even 22 yet like he was one of the youngest players drafted and then he comes out and posts a top 10 true catch rate he's good yeah. right he's super fast runs a four six three he's going to get bigger that's why he's a big-time target from you. We talked about targeting Irv Smith and Dallas Goddard and Dynasty because they're not quite anointed full-time starters yet. you got to get him now, get it over with. He's 242 now. Let me explain how this is going to play out. He's 21 years old. Do you know how heavy most tight ends are at age 21? Very, very, very few are even 250 pounds. In three years, we're going to look up. Irv Smith's going to be 255, and he's basically going to be Zach Ertz North. That's what you're going to see. Zach Ertz, but with broken tackles, like from time to time. All right, man. I don't have the exact – I mean, that's the best I could do because he is <laughs> smaller. You know, he is smaller, so you're, you can't comp him to a lot of these other tight ends that you'd like to comp them to. And I generally don't like tight ends that are 245. What about uh, Delaney Walker? But if you're 245 at age, yeah, if you're 245 at age 27, then you're, that's probably what you're going to be. But over time, Delaney Walker went from 225 to 235 to 245 like Delaney Walker eventually he had to go and, and 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 get a lot bigger and you could see even his frame he looked puffy like he was trying to put on as much weight as possible and I think that actually made him a little more prone to injury Irv Smith doesn't have that problem he's already 242 at age 21 and he has early second round draft capital at his back I mean this guy is going to be something and like you were talking about with Dawson Knox, I mean, if you pull up Irv Smith's like highlights from last year, not not a ton, but um, the dude flash. He's going to be a baller in this league for years to come. And all right, seam Matt. splitter, baby. He just seam splits that seam. Splitter, man, he man. threatens the seam. That makes quarterbacks better. I mean, look at these seam threatening tight ends. Look at Kelsey. Look at Kittle. Look at the accuracy uh, and, and, the, and the prolificness in the case of. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, look at the touchdown rate for Lamar Jackson with Mark Andrews. I mean, that is an underrated skill that GMs need to be targeting more heavily in the draft. 
seem threatening tight end play. Forcing defenses to cover every inch of the field. What a concept. What a concept. <laughs> yeah, you'd think this would be a premium in the draft, but no. All right, man. You got anything you got a plug coming out soon? Well, I talked about our world-famous draft kit, uh, fantasy-draftkit.com. That is out now. And basically, I was citing a lot of our signature trends, which are a big part of the world-famous draft kit. Check me out on Twitter, at fantasy underscore mansion. There, I put out all our shows, all our resources, and there's always more coming down the pipeline. We're working right now on an additional, a new dynasty module for player profiler. I've talked about it before, but I'm on the spot and I don't have a lot else to say. So I am going to tease right here, right now, first time, a new dynasty module coming out. We talked a lot about dynasty tight ends and I'm excited for that. Awesome, man. And yeah, I cannot say enough nice things about playerprofiler.com and using this for almost half decade now. And whenever there's just a rookie coming up that I don't know enough about, first thing I do, playerprofiler.com, put his name in. You cannot find just a better quick glimpse of a guy and you want more. They got more as well. So awesome stuff. Yes. Everyone follow Matt on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Thanks, man. This was fun. Appreciate you coming on. Love it, baby. All right, that's gonna that's gonna do it for Ian Harditz. Like Cheez-Its, but Harditz or pronounce it however you want. Who cares? That's Matt Kelly. I'm Ian Harditz. Everyone have a good one. <laughs>